Good morning. As the song tells us, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Uh, can you see the, the decor? We did that last week. Thanks to everybody that helped with that. Very festive. I feel very Christmassy. I get to wear sweaters. It's the best time of the year. Uh, now, I know for some, Christmas uh, can be difficult. It can bring memories of those we've lost or family we no longer see for one reason or another. But most of us also have images or memories that come to mind when we think of Christmas. It may be a special uh, toy you received as a child. I remember when I was 13 and my brother and I got the amazing video game uh, Pong. <laughs> boop, boop, you remember if you're... If you're not Ash, you remember. No, I'm just kidding. For me, uh, that, that, that was a big deal. Or it may be a special meal that your mom or wife always prepares for Christmas Day. Uh, prime rib has become the tradition at our house, so you're all invited. Oh, no, Christina's not here. She's downstairs. So. Uh, and for me, I'll never forget our first Christmas in Thailand. Many of the things I'd associated with Christmas were nowhere to be found. Christmas is not a holiday in very Buddhist Thailand, so there were no Christmas trees, no carols on the radio, no shopping malls unless you wanted to drive to Bangkok. And for us, there was no extended family. But we were de determined to celebrate Christmas. As I said, Thailand has no Christmas trees, but they had plenty of Christmas lights. They didn't call them Christmas lights, but, but to attract business, many shops would display strings of lights year-round. And so we got some lights. We put some on the outside of our house, but the thing I remember most is uh, the Christmas tree wall. Instead of the, an actual Christmas tree, we took lights and taped them onto the wall in the shape of a Christmas tree, and then we put our presents right there under the wall. And every Christmas since then, I've taped lights on the wall. No, I haven't done that. I think back uh, to the wall of lights. It has a special place in my memory. I can see the neighborhood kids uh, coming into our house, looking, for, looking at our Christmas tree and asking, why are these, uh, probably saying, silly foreigners, taping lights to their wall? Uh, but it gave us many opportunities to share uh, why we celebrated Christmas. And that's the most important thing about this Christmas season. As believers, Christmas has a special, deeper, greater meaning. It's more than family. It's more than trees and presents. It's even more than good food. It's the time of the year that we focus on the fact that God sent His Son into our world. The theological term is the incarnation. God became man, Emmanuel, God with us, God as one of us, if you will. As the Apostle uh, John put it, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. But why? Why did Jesus come? Why did God take on human flesh? Why do we have Christmas? Why did, as the Apostle Paul put it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, through Jesus... 
though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Why did God the Son make himself nothing? Why did he take on human likeness? Now, most of us know the big answer, right? We understand we, need, we needed a Savior, that God sent his Son, that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I think we've got that, that Jesus willingly made himself nothing that we might be saved through him. And I'll speak specifically, we'll talk specifically about this central reason for Jesus coming in a few weeks on December 24th, the, the Sunday morning of Christmas Eve. You realize Sunday, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year, so that's exciting. But there are other reasons. These reasons are not separate from him bringing salvation, but as we'll see, these other reasons give fullness to what it means to live out our salvation. For the next four weeks during Advent, we'll be looking at uh, 12 reasons for Christmas. 12 reasons uh, that Jesus made himself nothing and entered our world as one of us. <clears throat> this is going to be a little more topical than we're used to. We'll bounce around various scriptures as we do this. Each week we'll cover three specific reasons under one heading. Uh, four weeks, three reasons, three times four is... 12. You guys are good. Each week there'll be a theme that covers the three reasons for that Sunday. This week the theme is Jesus came to teach and train. Jesus was an extraordinary teacher. Crowds of people followed him everywhere. They wanted to see what he did. They wanted to hear what he taught. Just consider uh, Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. President Harry Truman said, I do not believe there is a problem in this country or the world today which could not be settled if approached through the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus taught, people were amazed. In John chapter 7, we read that Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching, and the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning? How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? This marveling of Jesus' teaching was, was true when he walked the earth, and it continues to our day as people encounter his teaching through the Bible. I just finished reading a book called uh, Son of Hamas. It's by Mossab Hassan Yosef, the son of one of the founders of Hamas. Anybody heard of Hamas lately? Okay. When he was 18, he was sent to prison for purchasing guns which he intended to use to kill Israelis. But while there, he became disillusioned with the leaders of Hamas. He'd also been given a New Testament. And as he read the teachings of Jesus, he marveled at what Jesus said about love and forgiveness. He didn't become a Christian right away, but he became a follower of the teachings of Jesus, which eventually led him to give his life fully to the Lord. So yes, Jesus came to save, but he didn't just grow up to be a certain age and then go to the cross and die for our sins. When he reached the age of 30, he began his public ministry, which lasted three and a half years. And during that time, Jesus taught some amazing, marvelous things, things that continue to change lives today. Jesus taught 
with spoken word, and he taught by example. And that brings us to our first point today, today's first reason for his coming. Jesus came to be our example. We talked about this when we were going through 1 Peter. If, if you're with us, if you remember, Peter wrote chapter 2, verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus is the ultimate example. Peter speaks specifically of Christ as our example in suffering. The, the Greek word for example is hypographo. And it's only used once in the New Testament, right here, 1 Peter. It refers to uh, the faint outlines of letters which were traced over by pupils while learning to write. Remember when you were learning to write the ABCs? At least when I was in school, my teacher gave us uh, books with letters written with dashes, if you remember, like a C would be like just with dashes, and we would practice C, C, you know, just writing over and over those dashes. And Peter is saying that our lives should metaphorically trace over the life of Christ, that we should follow in his steps. Have you ever walked behind someone on the beach? You can see their footprints in the sand. If you step in their footprints, you're walking in their steps. Jesus came to leave us with footprints to walk in. We would have no footprints if Jesus did not have feet. He was made in human likeness, so we would have human feet to follow. Without Christ taking on human flesh, we would not have that perfect example. We wouldn't know how to pray as he did. For Jesus not only taught us how to pray, our Father who art in heaven, etc., but he lived a life characterized by prayer. He spent extended time in his Father's presence. He prayed for his disciples who were with him and for uh, those like us who would follow him in the future. He taught us the most important way to end our prayers, not my will, but yours be done. And these are just a few things he taught about that one specific area of prayer. Also, he taught us how to love and forgive. The Old Testament gave us the commands to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. But in John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, that's not the new part, it's coming, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus said, look at me, look at how I loved you, look at my example, and love one another in the same way. Love one another with a sacrificial, giving, caring love. Jesus also, by his example, taught us how to resist temptation, how to defeat the enemy. When he was led into the wilderness and tempted by the devil, how did he respond to the devil's half-truths and lies? He responded with the Word of God. Jesus taught us how to treat our enemies. He said radical things like, love your enemies, forgive uh, either 7 times 70 or 77 different translations. But either way, 77 is a lot even. But it, it means just keep forgiving, by the way. And he demonstrated this from the cross when he said uh, to the, to the, about those who crucified him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we could go on and on about how 
Christ taught us through both his words and his actions. Jesus provides us with the examples we need to live the Christian life. And there are two important applications to the fact that Jesus came to be our example. First, hopefully, obviously, we must strive to follow his example, right? Now, it seems we're always looking for examples to follow. For me, from childhood, I chose to follow the example of Batman. I watched with rapt attention the classic Adam West TV show, Bang Pow. I would tie a towel around my neck and run around pretending to be Batman. I broke my collarbone jumping over a wagon, pretending to be Batman. Later I read the comics, I watched all the animated TV shows and the movies. And even to this day, I confess, on my refrigerator, I have a magnet that my children gave me. It says, always be yourself, unless you can be Batman, then always be Batman. However, if you think about it, it's not good to always be Batman. Yes, he does exemplify some good qualities like justice, uh, but he's driven not by love and forgiveness, but by vengeance. His answer to most problems is, pow, bang, you know, violence in some way. So you and I should, shouldn't really uh, model our lives after Batman. I know you all needed to hear that today. However, we should model our lives after Jesus. In fact, I'm looking for a new magnet to put on my fridge that would say, don't always be yourself. Instead, in the power of the Spirit, always be Jesus. Always love, forgive, care, have compassion, justice, mercy, grace like Jesus. Be like Jesus. So that's the first obvious application. We should seek to follow Christ's example. Put simply, we should follow in his steps. We should be like Jesus. And the first step, I think, to following an example, any example, is knowing everything we possibly can about him, them, it. You know, I knew a lot about Batman. I still do. I'm sorry. I know that good actors sometimes spend months studying a character before uh, shooting starts. Russell Crowe, who's played uh, so many real-life individuals and has done it really well, said this regarding how he prepares to play a certain character. Preparation and research is a privilege, and I love to do it. I'm very inquisitive. And I also know, I absolutely know, the more I put into the character, the more apparent it is on the screen. Now, that might seem like a strange example, but if we as believers would be willing to do our research, we have a whole book for that, by the way, if we would consider it a privilege to know more about Jesus, to know everything we possibly can know about Jesus, if we were inquisitive about the things Jesus said and did, then I know, I absolutely know, that our lives would be transformed in such a way that we would be, it would be apparent to everyone around us. And that brings us to the second and less obvious application, is that not only is Jesus our example, but we are called to be examples of Jesus. 
To the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul says, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Jesus is the ultimate example. But as we follow his example, we're to call others to follow our example. As we walk in his steps, others will be walking in our steps. Each of us will be an example. We'll be an example wherever we are, at home, at work, at church, wherever. We'll be an example to our family, especially our kids, our grandkids, to our friends, our neighbors. The, the question becomes, what kind of example will you be? Will we be examples of what, what, it is, what it's like to do our own thing, what it's like to be me? Or will we be examples of what it's like to do the things of Christ, to be like Christ? Jesus came to be our example, and he calls us to be examples to one another. And for the next four weeks, this week and three more, we'll be looking at the question, why Jesus came, But every answer to that question also provides an application for our lives. Because Jesus is our example. Sometimes I think we lack motivation in following Jesus' example and in being an example to others because uh, our lack of motivation comes from the fact that we view Jesus' life and teaching as unique to Him. Only Jesus could accomplish those things. Now, that's true when it comes to dying on the cross. But other than that, sometimes we say only Jesus could pray like that. Only Jesus could love like that. Only Jesus could forgive like that. Only Jesus could have mercy like that. Only Jesus could understand like that. He was the perfect and sinless example, and I am imperfect and sinful. How can I follow his example? How can I be an example to anyone? Well, in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said something that is both amazing and speaks to this question. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to be with the Father. Jesus said, if you believe, if you trust in me, in him, we can follow his example. We can, and this would be blasphemy if Jesus didn't say it, we can do greater things than he did. How? Because Jesus is going to the Father. Jesus then goes on in John chapter 14 to to tell his disciples that this going to the Father means two things for them and for us. First, that he will be there at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, praying for us, praying on our behalf. And second, he will ask the Father to send another helper, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who will be in you, who will dwell in you. So with Jesus is interceding for us, we, through the power of the Spirit dwelling in us, can both follow his example and be an example to those around us. But we have to submit to a spirit. We have to learn about Jesus. In my life, I've had, a, had and continue to have many examples. Some of my examples are in this very room. I, don't, I won't mention any names, but I'll say, I truly appreciate those who follow the example of Christ in such a way that I can see areas in my own life 
that do not measure up, areas I need to change. It's not that they come up to me and say, hey, you're blowing it, buddy. It's like um, I look at them and I go, oh, I'm blowing it, buddy. I'm following their example as they follow Christ. We have a wealth of such examples. Both those who live among us and those who've gone before us. Church history is full of many such examples. Men and women who followed so hard after Christ that we can now follow their example. One of my favorite past examples has always been Hudson Taylor. Not only because he was a great missionary, which he was, not only because he opened inland China to the gospel, which he did, but because he led such a faithful life. And I I would say those are related. Many in China still revere his name. But years ago, the communist government in China commissioned an author to write a biography of Hudson Taylor with the purpose of distorting the facts and presenting him in a bad light. Hudson Taylor, a product of Western colonialism and capitalism. The communists wanted to discredit the name of this revered missionary of the gospel. As the author was doing his research, he was increasingly impressed by Taylor's saintly character and godly life. And he found it extremely difficult to carry out his assigned task with a clear conscience. Eventually, at the risk of losing his life, he laid aside his pen, renounced his atheism, and received Jesus as his personal Savior. Jesus came to be our example. Hudson Taylor followed Jesus' example, and like many others, has left an incredible example for us to follow. So we too must be an example of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We may be the only example some people have of what Christ means. They don't have Hudson Taylor. They don't know who he is. They're not reading the Bible. And you right now are their example of what it means to be like Jesus. So first, Jesus came to be our example and application. We're to be examples to others. And second, Jesus came to preach the gospel. In Luke 4.43, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus had a mission to complete. He always had the cross before him, but along the way, during his three-and-a-half-year ministry, he also had a message to deliver, a message to teach. That message is what we call the gospel, or literally the good news. Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. What was the good news? The good news was that the promised Messiah, anointed one, Hebrew or Christ, Greek anointed one, had arrived. Therefore, salvation is near. The anointed one has come. The Messiah has come to establish God's kingdom. That was what the Jewish people were waiting for but they'd been mistaken about the nature of this kingdom. They thought it would be an earthly, physical kingdom. They thought that the Messiah would come to toss out the Romans and rebuild Israel. But the good news was that it was God's kingdom in the hearts of men and women, and that the Messiah had come to rule and reign in our lives. Jesus said, I have, come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance and forgiveness are available to those who make Jesus their king. That's the message that Jesus preached. Simplified as it is. 
That's why he was sent. And remember, Jesus is our example. And therefore, we are to preach the gospel as Jesus did. This is, in fact, part of the mission he gave to his disciples. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, Go into all the world and proclaim, preach the gospel to the whole creation. I think we, we've gotten confused about this word preach or even proclaim. It's a scary word to most. We think it's only for pastors, what pastors do on Sunday mornings, or evangelists in big stadiums, or wild-eyed crazy people on street corners. I'm not saying that God does not gift certain people to preach to large crowds or even on street corners, but what I am saying is that Jesus called e- calls each and every one of us to preach the gospel, to be witnesses, to share our faith, to pr- proclaim the message of reconciliation with God. The word preach simply means to announce, to proclaim, to herald. It's not a technical term that can only be learned in seminary. Paul understood this. He saw himself as Christ's herald. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, he writes, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. When he describes himself as, as an appointed herald or preacher of the gospel, the noun he uses means a person who makes a public announcement on behalf of another. J.I. Packer said this about Paul and his preaching. Paul, in his own estimation, was not a philosopher, not a moralist, not one of the world's wise men, but simply Christ's herald. His royal master had given him a message to proclaim. His whole business was to deliver that message. And that should be our whole business as well. We are called to preach the gospel. But that just means we're called to announce who Jesus is and what he's done. The Christmas story found in Luke's gospel provides a great illustration of what it means to preach the gospel. I hope it gives you, uh, I, I use it to, to sort of break it down and, and uh, free us all to be able to preach like it's preached here. We read these familiar words. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing, what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So first, we have the angels preaching to the shepherds. They announce good news of great joy. The good news, the gospel, is that the Savior has come. Fine, we say, 
that's the angels. That's their job. In fact, angel in Greek means messenger. But they're not the only messengers at that first Christmas. In verse 17, 18 we read, And when they, the shepherds, saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The simple shepherds became the first people in the New Testament to preach the gospel, to announce what they had been told about this child. The application, I hope, is clear. What have you been told? What does the Bible, the Word of God, teach about this child? What have you experienced in your relationship with this child who became your Savior? That's what you're called to announce to the world. To your friends and family and co-workers and neighbors and to whoever God calls you to make this announcement to. Jesus came to preach the gospel. Jesus is our example. We must preach the gospel. But Jesus didn't just preach the gospel. He didn't just say words. He didn't just have altar calls. For those willing to respond, Jesus took it to the next level our final point for this morning. Jesus came to make disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, we read of Jesus' calling his, his first disciples. Verse 19, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As we read through the gospels, it's clear that Jesus had a plan. He knew that his ultimate purpose, his ultimate uh, would lead him to the cross, to his death. He knew that salvation could not come unless he willingly sacrificed his life. So throughout his three and a half years of ministry, Jesus taught and preached to the masses, but he poured his life into 12 men, his disciples. One of the disciples would betray him, but the others, along with the Apostle Paul, would be changed, would be charged, excuse me, with the task of establishing his kingdom, his church on earth. Jesus called each of his disciples to follow him, to go where he went, to live where he lived, to teach what he taught, and ultimately to do what he did, to become fishers of men, to cast their nets into the sea of humanity, calling men and women to come to Christ. These disciples were carrying on what Jesus had begun, to catch men for the kingdom of God. Jesus was was saying, come, be my disciple, and I will make you a disciple maker. Again, we're called to follow Jesus' example. He made disciples, and we're called not only to be disciples, but we're called to make disciples as well. Matthew 28, we read Jesus' final words to his disciples. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our task, the mission that we, the church, have been given to make disciples of all nations, all peoples. It sounds like a big deal, doesn't it? Well, because it is. That's probably why we call it the Great Commission. I mean, it's commissioning. Uh, uh, It's a commissioning of the followers of Christ to not only preach the gospel to all nations, but to make disciples, 
to pour into people that they would be true followers of Jesus Christ. To teach and to train them in obeying God's Word. That's great. That's a great commission. But again, I think we have a problem. We've relegated the fulfillment of the Great Commission to the professionals. To Amy and John. You know, everybody just looks, Amy and John are going to do it. I'm good. Amy and John are missionaries, by the way, for those that don't know. Uh, Anyway, sorry. To the pastors, to the missionaries. When in fact, we're all called to make disciples. Hudson Taylor said, the Great Commission is not an option to consider, but a command to obey. Again, Jesus is our example. He was willing to submit to the will of the Father. He was willing to make himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, that he might relate to us, that he might be one of us, that he might be the sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was, in short, willing to live among us that we might learn from his life and his teaching. And he's provided us with a method for discipleship. We must be willing to submit to the will of the Father. We must be willing to make ourselves nothing. We must be willing to go where He calls and do what He commands, doing our part in preaching the gospel and making disciples of all nations, all peoples. Amen? And so, as we, after communion, we're going to have communion today. Sean's going to lead us in that. And uh, then we're going to have a fabulous Christmas luncheon. But then we're going to leave this place, right? We're going to go into the world. We need to remember that Jesus came to teach and to train. Remember, He gave us a perfect example to follow. An example of preaching the gospel, an example of making disciples. And never forget, He's praying for you. He's praying for us. And He's given us the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in our lives. Therefore, we must ask ourselves, in the power of the Spirit, who are we teaching? Who are we training? Are we following Jesus' example? Are we preaching the gospel ever? Are we making disciples? And if not, why not? Would you pray with me as Sean and the worship team and the ushers come forward to lead us in communion? Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he came and he lived among us. Lord, that he showed us the way in so many ways. Yes, he went to the cross and he died for us and we're going to celebrate that. We're going to remember that as we come to communion, but we can't forget, we can't overlook that he walked this earth For 33 years and three and a half, he did ministry. He gave us an example to follow. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for each of us here that if we claim to be followers of Christ, that we would follow Christ, that we would follow his example, that we would preach the gospel. You would give us opportunities to just share who you are and what you've done in our lives, what the word teaches about you. Lord, and that you would give us the, the, the privilege of making disciples. There would be people in our lives that, we're, uh, we're, we're, that are following in our steps as we follow in yours. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.